0: Welcome to New Life Church Sermons. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect more with us, go to newlifesl.church. We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 7. We're going to read down through verse 19. Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 7. going down through verse 19. It says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, everybody say today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, hear his voice and harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, talking about the day that a nation tempted God. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation. Grieved. And said, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. Everybody say daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, albeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom he was grieved 40 years, was it not with them that had sinned? Whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Unbelief. So, um, I want to talk about that today, and we're just gonna work through this, and um and and see what the Lord will, will do in our midst. I want to title this, I've gotta get through it. I've gotta get through it. Look at somebody and say, I've gotta get through it. I've got to get through it. Let's call upon the Lord one more time. Worship him and ask him to speak to us today freely. Father, we love you, we thank you God for your word that does not return void. We thank you, God, that you see us as we are. And if we will come to you as we are, we will receive grace and mercy to help in our time of need. And I pray today, Lord, that as your word goes forth, we would open our ears to hear your word and receive it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Hebrews is a really a commentary, tying together the Old Testament Scriptures and the New Testament Scriptures, really making sense of everything that unfolded, from the creation of the world to the creation of the nation of Israel uh, to the coming Messiah revealed to us, God in flesh, Jesus Christ. Uh, scripture says that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. The anointed one, the Messiah. Uh, This one man that is unlike any other human that's ever lived. Scripture calls him uh, the the great high priest. Hebrews calls him that. He's a high priest forever because he's never going to die again. He was Jesus who died, but now he is alive forevermore. He's a high priest. He is the root of Jesse. He's referred to as the branch in Isaiah. Scripture calls him a man of sorrows. Scripture calls him in Isaiah, child born, the son given. He's revealed to us as wonderful. He's wonderful. He's counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father, but he's also the prince of peace. He is the spirit of truth. He is the way, the life, the door, the good shepherd. He is the uh, one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So uh, scripture here says a lot of different things about about Jesus here. However, uh, in Hebrews, it really all does just Point to Jesus. Jesus was this. Jesus was that. I mean, he's a billion different things in Scripture. Trying to paint this picture through words and prophetic unction of the Spirit of God, who this man Jesus is. Because when you look at him, when you examine him, when you hear his words, when you see the record of his works. You come to the conclusion he's more than just a man. He is definitely more than just a man. Nicodemus saw that Jesus was more than just a man. He had to come to him by night and ask him about some of the things he's been doing. And Jesus began to talk to him about the way into the kingdom of God. And uh, Nicodemus struggled to understand it. Yet we find Some very powerful words of Jesus recorded in John chapter 3. And uh, the book of Hebrews isn't anything less, but it talks about everything from beginning to end in this book. It talks about the, the, uh, the people of God in the Old Testament. It talks about the work of Jesus Christ. It talks about His perfect sacrifice, which was Himself, and they talk about these heroes of faith throughout time, recorded in chapter 11, And then we get into chapter 12, and it just simply says, "Because of everything in our past, in human history, we're compassed by so great a cloud of witness. We need to lay aside every sin and weight that would beset us, set us aside. And we've got to run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down the right hand of the throne of God this idea of the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. Because on the other side of death, on the other side of His resurrection, would be a great joy that we see initiated in Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church. And He would see throughout history people from every nation under heaven entering his kingdom through the way that he made available to be born again. But before all that happened Jesus had to endure the cross. He had to get through it. Couldn't go halfway. The beatings, the mockery, the scorn, the lashing of the whip, and say, that's enough. I've already shed my blood. No, Jesus didn't stop at all. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, no man takes my life from me. I have the authority to lay my life down, and I also have that same authority to take it up again. So we see here in Jesus' image throughout the crucifixion where it appears that he's helpless and defeated. He did that willingly. And those who exercised power, punishment, and authority over him was only because Jesus led them. If you say who you say you are, you really are who you say you are, come down from the cross. No. Jesus didn't have to prove himself to anybody. He simply had to do what he came to do. It doesn't always look pretty. It doesn't always seem easy. The thousands that had followed Jesus in his life had abandoned him now as he is hanging on the cross, dying. His 12 closest followers, one betrayed Him. The other 10 ran away from Him. Another denied Him. Now it's just John and Jesus' mother at the cross. Where's His following now? Where are the numbers now? It's only Jesus hanging on the cross and one follower and His mother. And He had to get through all of that. The humanity... God in flesh experienced everything that any human could experience. But he, through his own power, held himself there, enduring the cross but despising the shame. Despising the shame. What does that mean? It's not that he, I hate this shame that's put upon me. No, he looked at it in such a way that there is no way that you are going to get the best of me. When you study it out despising the shame that's that's really what it's kind of looking at here. Everything that was put on Jesus. He wasn't going to let it distract him, deter him, knock him off course. He had his eye on something in the future. And everything that was coming at him in the present was not going to get the best of him because he despised every distraction, every shame, every curse that was put upon him. No, you're not going to take me out. I am going to endure this to the end because there is something so great on the other side and I already see it in my mind and it gives me great joy... So I'll endure this temporary, momentary suffering because what I see on the other side of this is going to change the world. So I've got to get through it. This is the mindset of Jesus we find here. Yet, Hebrews refers to a group of people who were not able to see on the other side of their wilderness They they were not looking past their present problems into a future victory, a future promise fulfilled. Their eyes were more on these problems around them than on the promise ahead of them. And they, time and time again, tripped in the wilderness. What we see here is they sinned. Now sin is a broad word, it really means just missing the mark. Uh, the Bible talks about transgressions and iniquities, different types of ways that uh, people can oppose God. Uh, there, there are unbelievers can participate in iniquity, and believers can participate in iniquity. And it really just means I'm putting my law above God's law. I am going to reject God's law, and I'm going to uh, put my law in effect, what I want to do, what I seek to become, rejecting God. It's lawlessness because you are your own law. And, and, and so that, that is something that humanity in general has struggled with since uh, the beginning, as well as even uh, we see Lucifer who fell from heaven. He actually didn't fall necessarily, he did fall, but he fell because he was cast down. And um, you know what we see here in uh, this this story of Israel in the wilderness is they were a stiff-necked, stubborn people. Stiff-necked. What makes you stiff-necked? Your will fighting against God's will. And uh, they were stubborn. And every time something difficult came their way, they started complaining. And every time a difficult situation came their way, they started talking. It typically was always with one another. <laughs> they never went to Moses who could do anything about it, sometimes they did. But they didn't say, Moses, what are we going to do? They said, Moses, did you bring us out here to die? Never offering a solution to the problem, just putting it all on Moses again. (laughs) And um, one time, actually, uh, Miriam, I believe, if I have my story correct, Moses' sister, said something about Moses' wife. God struck Miriam... With uh, leprosy, not because she was talking about Moses, but because she was talking about his wife. And uh, why? Well, they're one flesh. They were. Um, they were in leadership. And so, um, we see here that. Gossip just doesn't really work out too well at all. And it doesn't really matter who you're talking about. Well, I wasn't talking about the pastor. I was just talking about his wife. You know what leprosy is a type of? Sin. Sin. Uh, so uh, throughout Scripture, uh, we, we see, especially in this story, this Nation. They weren't a nation yet. They were really just a bunch of people that were slaves and had no idea how to be free, even though they were free. And every time they saw a problem, they just fell apart. And so they get into the wilderness, wandering through it. And what really should have taken about a year or two to get through took 40 years. And it wasn't because of God's timing. It was because there was a group of people, a generation, that tempted God. Now, God judged sin, acts in the flesh, works of the flesh is what Galatians calls it. He also showed mercy in the wilderness. But there was something that... I think pushed God over the limit and caused him to say, I'm done with you. And that was when they spied out the land, the promise, looked at it, said, it's too great. We can't do this. And it wasn't their fear that kept um, them out. It wasn't their emotions. It wasn't the fact that they saw a lot of problems and recognized these are going to be things we have to overcome. It was when they went back to the camp. Caleb and Joshua said, we can go do this today. Let's go up at once and possess the land. We are well able to take it. And the ten spies rose up. And when they started vocalizing their unbelief, that's when God was done. So if you have doubts, fears, worries, unbelief about anything God can do in your life, in a brother or sister in Christ's life, in this church, in this city, if you have any doubts, any unbelief about it, Please, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Just until you have something good to say, don't say anything at all. Because we see here the effect of it. Ten men impacted the faith of a whole nation. Because the ten men said, we are not able to do this. And the whole nation, it says, that day lifted up their voice in wailing before the Lord because they were not able to enter. Who said they weren't able to enter? God said they were able to enter. Ten mortal, faithless men said they were not able to. Your words have power. What you say about the things of God, the people of God, it matters and it affects what's happening. Church. So, if all you have is unbelief in your heart, be careful. Just wait, wait until you have something faith-filled to say. Because these people, this generation, people were not able to enter into the promised land who didn't even say they weren't able to enter. Ten men influence this nation in such a way that people didn't even say they couldn't enter. But the negative report, which the Bible calls an evil report, of uh, these ten men, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, unbelief comes by hearing, and unbelief by the word of the devil or your own stinking flesh. You believe what you hear, whether it's, whether it's faith Or doubt you believe what you hear truth or lie you believe what you hear and so people that didn't even say anything were impacted by it because the evil report spread like a pandemic and it caused impressionable people to believe the negative report why because only two people say we can but ten people say we can't so the majority I don't care who's saying what, what is God saying? And are you taking my word for it, or have you went to God in prayer and say, God? Confirm to me what your will is. I want to know what your will is. I want to come into agreement with the promises of God. And I don't want to just believe some man uh, only. I believe that if I go to God in prayer, that he can confirm the word that's already spoken. And I can say, yes, we are able to take the land. We are able to see revival. We are able to reach the lost. The generation that had seen miracles that you and I have never seen—food every morning just appear, clothes that never wear out, shoes that never wear out—and they grew with the children as they grew. I know a lot of parents would love to see that today. We, we, we—I'm like, my God! I bought you these nice shoes two months ago. I was like, just start a subscription tennis shoe subscription. Every two months, new pair comes in the mail because that's the rate we're going. That would be great. But see, in order to see provision like that, you've got to be completely helpless. And so they were, and they're wandering through this wilderness. Miracle after miracle, they witnessed. They saw a miracle one day, and they doubted God the next day. Um... So the Lord said to this generation, you you cannot enter into the promised land, the rest. It wasn't any other sin that prevented them from entering the promised land. Except for the sin of unbelief when they vocalized and said, we can't do this. Uh, we, We need to let that sink in. Because we don't want to go 21 days of prayer and fasting and praying for revival in my home, my church, my city. And we're just doing it because I asked us to. Because there will come a point in time where the pressure will come on and instead of saying we can, we'll say we can't. So, praying this Prayer of faith in the promise of God is absolutely vital. But you've got to decide whether or not you believe it. Believe it. The, 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 the sin of unbelief that we can't do what God said we could do is what kept them out. What if they would have said, man, I'm super afraid. This is scary. I have my doubts. I have my fears. But God said we can possess it. So I'm going to obedience, obedience, obedient faith is what we see throughout Scripture. I'm going to do this action. I'm going to take action on the word of God and the promise of God. That would have probably turned into a different outcome. But because they're evil heart of unbelief was vocalized and spread throughout a nation till the whole nation said we can't do it anymore God we see a scripture the Lord hates those that sow discord division in the body how do you sow discord your words do a little plant commercial for a moment Parable in uh, the New Testament, the seed and the sower. The seed is the Word of God. Words are seeds, whether they're the Word of God, the Word of the enemy, the Word of a human out of their own carnality, or the Word of a human out of their own uh, influence of the enemy on their life. Words are seeds. Words are seeds. Thoughts are spiritual words. Okay? How many people have heard God speak to them audibly this morning? Nobody wants to raise their hand. The Lord speaks through thoughts. And as you learn, you can distinguish the difference. Okay? um, And we have our own thoughts. Because we have a human spirit. Can't forget about the devil. He's a spiritual being too. And his words are also seeds. There's also a um, principle in scripture. The word of God is also a sword. sword of the spirit is the word of God. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. But... The principle that words in general are swords are true. The enemy, his words are swords. We have words that can be swords. Cut. And so, that is the importance of learning power of our words and the effect our words have. The enemy speaks to you, plants a seed of condemnation. He imputes shame on you. Jesus, when we obey him in faith and believe in him and turn our life over to him and all of that, he then imputes his righteousness on us, to us. He puts his righteousness on us, the devil imputes his shame and condemnation on us. On us, it's the same thing. It's the same principle. See, has anyone ever been uh, with somebody who has a strong personality? It's just like you're like hostage. No. Strong, that that's that's the same effect. ...that the spiritual realm has, the enemy will impose himself on you... ...and plant a seed in your mind that will cause you to think it's yours. The Bible also talks about, in the the parable, uh, the sower and the seed... ...and then how the mustard seed will bloom into a tree bigger than all the others in the garden... The fowl of the air are likened unto the evil one. And so they'll seek to gobble up the the seed or, or once the, the plant is fully grown, they can only put nests in the branches. And then you have the, the uh, old saying of just because, you know, the bird flies over your head, you don't have to let it build a nest in your head, in your mind. I don't know if anyone's ever heard that on the West Coast, but... Uh, So, it's an interesting connection here that um, a thought could be put in your mind. And because you think it's yours, you validate it. And then you take ownership of it because you've taken ownership of it. That seed is now taking root in your mind, and you allow it to grow. Your mind, your heart, it all all kind of goes together. It's that soul part of you, your emotions, your will, your reasoning, your intellect, your free will. And once you've allowed that thought to grow, you begin to vocalize it. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So fear plants seeds in our mind. Unbelief plants seeds in our mind. Lust plants seeds in our mind. Anger, cynicism. And if you're truly seeking to live for God and you, you really want what God wants, has for you in every area of your life so you seek to pursue Him, and you know in your deepest heart of hearts, I just want to please God. When those things come on you, you'd be like, "Yeah, that may tempt me, but that's not me. Because in the deepest part of who I am, I don't want that. I want what God has. And so what you and I have to learn to distinguish is, yes, temptations are all around us, of every kind. The temptation to not believe the Word of God. The temptation to uh, sow discord because you're disgruntled. The temptation uh, to hold on to that hurt. The temptation to take revenge into your own hand, the the temptation uh, to lust, the temptation to gossip, the temptation of any kind. But if you have a heart that wants God and the promises of God to be fulfilled, you will recognize that may be imposed on me and it may trigger something in me but I don't want that, so I reject that. But if something's imposed on you, and you and you really aren't connected to God the way you should be, when it's imposed on you, you'll just... Why? Because you're seeking affirmation in the Spirit. How, what, what does that mean? How does that make sense? Because if you truly knew your identity in Christ, you would be able to look at that and say, I don't want that. Not today. And if you are submitted to God and resisting the devil, he will flee. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. So the biggest battle that people fight, it's in their mind. Because that's the operation system of your entire existence. And if your mind is not set on Jesus, his word, his promises, you're going to have a hard time distinguishing his thoughts, the devil's thoughts, and my own thoughts. But when you get into his presence... His spirit confirms his word. You can't separate the two. I said it a couple weeks ago. As I'm speaking my words, my breath is in those words. You can't speak without breath. If your air is completely, completely, completely cut off. So we see that the spirit of God confirms the word of God and it That's why this word is alive. Why? Because it is God-breathed. It's God-inspired. That's why you can read these words and it does something different to you than if you're reading some novel. Because this is the word of God. And the spirit of God gives revelation to his word. That's why you and I have to abide in him. Because when it's you and Jesus in a prayer meeting, and he is standing before you, and he is ministering to you, and it's his presence in the room, it really actually doesn't matter whether those other thoughts were you or the devil. Because all of a sudden you realize this, this. This is God. This this is his mind. These are his thoughts. This is how he views me. This is what he thinks. These are his promises. This is his will. And all of a sudden, you realize that was condemnation. Conviction will draw you to God condemnation will push you away from God. Why is condemnation pushing you away from God? Because somewhere along the way the devil got in between you and Jesus and he's pushing you away imputing his own shame and condemnation on you. But there is nothing that was left undone that would allow Satan to be able to get in between you and Jesus if you don't want him there. Because Jesus did anything that needed to be done to make it possible that whether or not you fell, walked away, stumbled, disobeyed, whatever it is, you can come to him and find the mercy and grace you need. But nothing can help anyone if you don't believe that. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace uh, that we may find mercy, find grace, receive mercy. That verse says receive mercy and find grace. Come boldly, come boldly. Why would you come boldly before the throne of grace? It says to receive mercy. What do you need mercy for? Because I can't do this on my own. I'm acknowledging the fact that without you, I can't do anything that pleases you. But with you, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I can believe the unbelievable. I can live holy. I can have faith. I can see every promise of God fulfilled. But you can't even believe the promises of God. Without the help of God, yet without with all the help, provision, miracles, and everything else that any of us have seen, if we see, say, we, we, can't, we can't do this. What else can God do for you? Because you used your free will to reject his perfect promises. How did we reject it? Well, sometimes it could be complaining through sowing discord. Sometimes it could just be, I'm done, this is too hard, I quit. Now, you can't quit because you've got to get through it. Psalms 23 is a powerful uh, scripture that we're all probably familiar with. But uh, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Insinuating, a shepherd leads. Ancient shepherds in these days, they led their sheep. So the Lord is out in front, and we're following I shall not want. I'm following the Lord. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Restoreth. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That right there. Doesn't give the psalm writer or any of us any glory. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not because you were a good person this week. Yea, though I walk through. Say through. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sounds like a wilderness to me. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. Anoint my head with oil. Spiritually speaking, anoint my mind with oil. Oil, the spirit of God, the nature of God, the presence of of God. In ancient times, there was this principle shepherds would uh, would do for each of their sheep, because flies and small insects were uh, common, obviously, in in this type of setting. And um, flies would land on the eyes, of the ears of sheep, and pick at them and sometimes they'd even lay eggs and all of these gross things and it would create infections and sores and a lot of problems on the head of the sheep. And the sheep ain't going to you know, just reach up its paw and scratch the uh, fly away. What they would do is they would the irritant in their mind they would take it and they would rub it against a tree until it would create more sores and cause the current sore to be broken open and sometimes they would smash their head against a rock to relieve the pain. If they kept doing that without any interference, they would die. Because they're tormented in their head. So they would pour oil on the head of the sheep and it would prevent the little flies, the irritants, pests little little things, not big things, little things, from infiltrating their ears, their eyes, their nose, or on their head and creating a bigger problem. Little insects, little flies, little seeds prevent it from affecting their head. This is what David is saying the Lord does. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If the Lord is in front of you and you're following him, what's got your back? His mercy and his grace. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we receive mercy and find grace in our time Of need. And and David is saying that when I'm with the Lord, I can get through the valley. It doesn't matter what's coming my way. It doesn't matter what seems to be lurking in the shadows. It's a shadow. It appears bad. It appears worse than it is. I'm going through this valley of the shadow of death. I'm going through something that is lying to me, telling me I'm not coming out of it. But the Lord is my shepherd, and he is with me. So even though I walk through this valley, I am saying I'm Coming through it. Everything about Psalm 23, it fits the same pattern that the Israelites went through in the wilderness. But David's psalm is a psalm of faith. I'm experiencing this, and even though I experience this, I'm coming through it. But the Israelites, because they said, we cannot do that. Instead of walking through the wilderness, they just walked around it until they died. Some things you have to get through because if you don't get through it, if you don't get over it, if you don't come out of it, you're just going to wander around until you die. And what is the difference between the two? Mindset. And what you vocalize. Are you vocalizing? i am got to get through this. Or are you vocalizing? I can't come out of this. I can't become that. I can't go into what God's calling me to. I'm done. I'm just going to sit down in the wilderness and die. That, that can't be what the children of God do. That can't be what we proclaim, what we think, what we uh, live, and, and how we act out our lives. There's got to be something in each one of us. I'm done existing. I'm done just showing up. There's something in me today that's rising up in my spirit that says, I've got to get through this. I've got to get through this. I've been in this wilderness long enough. I've got to get through it. So today, what decision will you make? What decision will you make? What decision will your family make? What decision do I make? What decision does this church make? Will we wander around aimlessly anymore? Or are we going to look with laser focus what the promise of God is, what the will of God is for your life, for this church? Are you going to focus in on that and say, I've got to get through it? Because the reality is somebody's going to get through it. But it's not guaranteed that everybody's getting through it. The people that possessed the promise were those that were 20 years old and younger when they came out of Egypt. It was the younger generation that possessed the promise of God. So the question is, is who? Who here today is going to stop wandering around and start ...getting through this process. The time has come to go possess the land. But what does that look like? What does that look like in each of our lives today? Well, it doesn't start with more programs in our church. And it doesn't start with more activities. Speaking to the church, it starts with a revival... Another class isn't going to catch you on fire. Another program isn't going to make it right and fix all the problems. It all starts with each of us repenting of our unbelief and asking God to forgive us of prolonging our progress in Him. When was the last time you entered into the presence of the Lord in such a way that every burden in your spirit melted away? I know there's people in this room today with burdens because in your eyes you are so preoccupied with problems that your mind is so tormented with a bunch of little things that you can't even set it on God because I know that if you were focused on God, those burdens would be lifted. So my challenge to you today is when are you going to stop playing the part and just fall at the feet of Jesus where you receive mercy and find grace. Mercy is ready to be given so you can receive. And as you seek the Lord, you will find the help you're looking for. That was the invitation to begin to call on the Lord. We can't be a church that has to wait for instruction. What do I do next? That insinuates, I don't have any faith. If you have the faith, I've already told you who the answer is. It's Jesus. What do you do? I worship him. Has anybody been facing anything that's warring against your mind? Does anybody have anything in your mind that torments you? Or if you let that seed grow up into a strong tree that you look at it and you say, I I could never tear this down. You can't. Jesus can. But it's not going to be torn down if you stay away from him. How do you draw near to God? Worship. Worship. You know that verse in Hebrews, come boldly before the throne? Come boldly before the throne. Better translated means confident worship. Confident worship.